Hello, Hello. and welcome to Infinite Cast, a pod just. Uh, reset the counter. It's been. It's been less than one week since somebody got mad about Infinite Jest online. Another TikToker. Another TikToker. I swear they're just like, at this point, I think that it's the the meme has become, uh, you know, uh, uh, self, self-aware. I don't think that any of these people actually know what Infinite Jest is anymore or uh, like what the cultural signifiers come from. It's just like a thing that you get mad about. It's just at the end of the day, it's a big book. It's just a big slab of a book. Infinite Jest isn't real. It can't hurt you. The other flavor of the uh, red book, Red Flags, is uh, male manipulator music. Have you seen that? Male manipulator. Well, that's my favorite Lou Reed album. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that? <laughs> that's good. That's real good. I love that. Um, but we'll talk more about that. Uh, the the current the current batch of of infinite jest uh outrage after yeah. this we still have um we have, we have a strong female character to to engage with we have a strong female character to engage with uh we have a character who um passes the Bechdel test the Bechdel test the, the uh, uh paradigm uh probably not the Duvernay it's hard uh, yeah di- uh dialectic no um but he's doing his best. <laughs> Look, he, it was the 90s. It he was, was as woke as he could be. It was the 90s, man. We were all living in Prozac Nation. <laughs> it's Prozac Nation. <laughs> we're just living in it. Yes. All right. Let's, let's do the reading, and then we'll talk more about this stuff. All right. The bathroom has a hook and a mirrored medicine cabinet over the sink and is off the bedroom. Molly Notkin's bedroom looks like the bedroom of someone who stays in bed for serious lengths of time. <laughs> a pair of pantyhose has been tossed onto a lamp. There are not crumbs, but whole portions of crackers protruding from the gray surf of wopsed-up bedding. A photo of the fallow neurotic New Yorker with the same fold-out triangular support as the blank cartridges anti-ad. See, already, I feel like people uh, like don't get it because David Foster Wallace was doing the uh, the uh, you know I I live in my bed and that's full of crackers and, and Netflix. Uh, yeah, I have uh, anxiety and anxiety. I cancel all my plans. Like, yeah, Canceling he, your plans is praxis. He was doing that stuff, uh, you know, way before anybody else was making it uh, uh, hip online. For sure. This is book is representation for the whole sect of people that, that try to clown on it. Yeah. There's something here for everyone. Uh, a photo. Wait, oops. Nope. A Ziploc of pot and easy widers and seeds in the ashtray. Books with German and Cyrillic titles lie open in spine-cracking attitudes on the colorless rug. You know what I? You know what this is giving? Caroline Calloway. <laughs> Joelle's never liked the fact that Nockin's father's photograph is nailed at iconic height to the wall above the headboard. A systems planner out of Knoxville, Tennessee. His smile, the smile of a man who wears white loafers and a squirting carnation. <laughs> and why are bathrooms always brighter lit, way brighter lit than whatever room they're off? Good question. On the private side of the bathroom door, she's had to take two damp towels off the top of uh, off the top of to close all the way. The same old, rotten old hook for a lock, never quite ever seeming to want to fit its receptacle in the jam. The party's music now some horrible collection of mollified rock classics with all soft rocks, grim dental associations. (laughs) The business side of the door is hung with a selective automation of Knoxville, selective automation of Knoxville calendar from before subsidized time and cut out photos of Kinski as Paganini and Laode as Duanel and a borderless still of the crowd scene in what looks like Peterson's The Lead Shoes and rather curiously, the off-printed page of J. Van Dyne, uh, M.A.'s one and only published film theory monograph, which takes us to EndNote 81, and hopefully this isn't long. Theory and Praxis in Peckinpah's Use of Red, Classic <laughs> Cartridge Studies, uh, Volume uh, 19, uh, Numbers 2 and 3, YY 2007, M-R-C-V-M-E-T-I-U-F-I slash I-T-P-S-F-H-O-O-M-S. Great. You shit, you yada, yada, yada. 
Back to the text. Joelle can smell through her veil and own stale exhalations. The little room's complicated spice of sandalwood rubble in a little violet ribboned pomander and deodorant soap and the sharp decayed lemon odor of stress diarrhea. Low, low budget celluloid horror films created ambiguity and possible elision by putting question mark after the end is what pops into her head. The end <laughs> amid the odors of mildew and dicky academic digestion. Joelle's mother's family had no indoor plumbing. It is all right. She represses all pathetic. This will be the last thing I smell thought patterns. Joelle is going to have too much fun in here. It was beyond all else, so much fun at the start. Oren had neither disapproved nor partaken. His urine was an open book because of football. Jim hadn't disapproved, so much as been vacant with disinterest. His too much was neat bourbon, and he had lived life to the fullest, and then gone in for detoxification again and again. This had been simply too much fun at the start. So much better even than nasling the material up through rolled currency and waiting for the cold bitter drip at the back of your throat and cleaning the newly spacious apartment to within an inch of its life while your mouth twitches and writhes unbidden beneath the veil. The base frees and condenses, compresses the whole experience to the implosion of one terrible, shattering spike in the graph, an afflated orgasm of the heart that makes her feel truly attractive sheltered by limits, deveiled and loved, observed and alone, and sufficient and female, full, as if watched for an instant by God. She always sees, after inhaling, right at the apex, at the graph's spike's tip, Bernini's ecstasy of St. Teresa, behind glass, at the Vittoria, for some reason, the saint recumbent, half-supine, her flowing robe lifted by the angel, in whose other hand a bare arrow is raised for that best descent. The saint's legs frozen in opening. I've seen that mm-hmm. sculpture. Sure. Uh, my college ex really liked Bernini. The, yeah, well, the things he does with marble are just miraculous. Like butter. <laughs> he chops that shit like butter. Yeah. How do you get, the, how do you get how clothes do you do to look like that out of a stone? How Come do on. you do that? Uh, half supine, her flowing stone robe lifted by the angel. Oh, no, nope. I keep fucking up my... Lines, uh, the angel's expression, not charity, but the perfect vice of barb-headed love. The stuff had been not just her encaging God, but her lover too, fiendish, angelic, of rock. The toilet seat is up. (laughs) She can hear a helicopter's chop somewhere overhead east, a traffic helicopter over Storo, and Molly Notkin's shriek as an enormous glass crash sounds off in the living room imagines her beard hanging aslant and her mouth ellipsed with champagne's foam as she waves off the breakage that signals good party, can hear through the door the ecstatic Melinda's apologies and Molly's laugh, which sounds like a shriek. Oh, everything falls off the wall sooner or later. <laughs> Joelle, yes? No, just that's funny. Joelle has lifted her veil back to cover her skull like a bride. Since she threw away her pipes and bowls and screens again this a.m., she is going to have to be resourceful. On the counter of an old sink, the same not quite white as the floor and ceiling, the wallpaper is a maddening, uncountable pattern of roses twined in garlands on sticks. On the counter are an old splay-bristled toothbrush, tube of gleam rolled neatly up from the bottom, unsavory old no-coat scraper, rubber cement, knee gram, depilatory ointment, tube of monostat not squeezed from the bottom, phony beard whisker bits and curled green threads of used mint floss. Molly is dressed as Karl Marx. Marx. She gave her dissertation dressed as Marx. Uh, And parapectolin and a wholly unsqueezed tube of diaphragm foam (laughs) and no makeup but serious styling gel in a big jar with no lid and hairs around the rim and an empty tampon box half filled with nickels and pennies and rubber bands. (laughs) And Joelle sweeps an arm across the counter and scrunches everything over to the side under the small rod with a washcloth wrung viciously out and dried in the tight spiral of a twisted cord. And if some items do totter and fall to the floor, it is all right because everything eventually has to fall. On the cleared counter goes Joelle's misshapen purse, The absence of veil dulls the bathroom smells somehow. 
She's been resourceful before, but this is the most deliberate Joelle has been able to be about it in something like a year. From the purse, she removes the plastic Pepsi container, a box of wooden matches kept dry in a resealable baggie, two little thick glycine bags, each holding four grams of pharmaceutical-grade cocaine, a single-edge razor blade, increasingly tough to find, (laughs) a little black Kodachrome canister whose gray lid she pops and discards to reveal baking soda sifted fine as talc, the empty glass cigar tube, a folded square of Reynolds wrap foil the size of a playing card, and an amputated length of the bottom of a quality wire coat hanger. The overhead light casts shadows of her hands over what she needs, so she turns on the light over the medicine cabinet's mirror as well. The light stutters and hums and bathes the counter with cold, lithium-free fluorescence. She undoes the four pins and removes the veil from her head and places it on the counter with the rest of the material. Lady Delphina's little glycine baglets have clever seals that are green when sealed and blue and yellow when not. She taps half a glycine's worth into the cigar tube and adds half again as much baking soda, spilling some of the soda in a parenthesis of bright white on the counter. This is the most deliberate she's been able to be in at least a year. She turns the sink's C-knob and lets the water get really cold, then cranks the volume back to a trickle and fills the rest of the tube to the top with water. She holds the tube up straight and gently taps on its side with a blunt, unpainted nail, watching the water slowly darken the powders beneath it. She produces a double rose of flame in the mirror that illuminates the right side of her face as she holds the tube over the match's flame and waits for the stuff to begin to bubble. She uses two matches, twice. When the tube gets too hot to hold, she takes and folds her veil and uses it as a kind of oven mitt over the fingers of her left hand, careful, from habit and experience, not to let the bottom bottom corners get close enough to the flame to brown. After it's bubbled for just a second, Joel shakes out the matches with a flourish and tosses them in the toilet to hear that briefest of hisses. She takes up the black wire prod from the hanger and begins to stir and mash the just-bubbled stuff in the tube, feeling it thicken quickly and its resistance to the wire's tiny circles increase. It was when her hands started to tremble during this part of the cooking procedure that she'd first known she liked this more than anyone can like anything and still (laughs) live. She is not stupid. She's a process-oriented person. (laughs) The Charles rolling away far below the windowless bathroom is vividly blue, more mildly blue on top from the fresh rainwater that had made purple rings appear and widen, a deeper magic marker-type blue below the dilute layer, gulls stamped to the cleared sky, motionless as kites. A bulky thump sounds from behind the largest flat-top Enfield hill on the river's south shore, a large but relatively shapeless projectile of drums wrapped in brown postal paper (laughs) and belted with twine, hurtling in a broad upward arc that bothers the gulls into dips and wheels. The brown package, quickly a pinpoint in the yet hazy sky to the north, where a yellow-brown cloud hangs just above the line between sky and terrain, its top slowly dispersing and opening out so that the cloud looks like a not-very-pretty sort of wastebasket waiting. (laughs) Inside, Joelle hears only a bit of the bulky thump, which could be anything. The only other thing besides what she's about to do too much of here right now that she'd ever come close to feeling this way about. In Joelle's childhood, Paducah, not too, far, uh, not too bad a drive from Shiny Prize, still had a few public movie theaters. Six and eight separate auditoria clustered in single honeycombs at the edges of interstate balls. The theaters always ended in Plex, she reflected. The thisoplex and thatoplex. It had never struck her as odd. And she never saw even one film there as a girl that she didn't just about die with love for. It didn't uh, matter what they were. She and her own personal daddy, up in the front row, they sat in the front rows of the narrow little over-insulated plexes up in neck crick territory and let the screen fill their whole visual field. Her hand in his lap and their big box of Cracker Jacks in her hand and soda pops secure in little rings cut out of the plastic of their seat's arms. And he, always with a wooden match in the corner of his mouth, pointing up into the rectangular world at this one or that one, performers, giant flawless 2D beauties, iridescent on the screen, telling Joelle over and over again how she was prettier than this one or that one right there. 
Yeah. Who gets Cracker Jacks at the movie? Mm. Can you even get Cracker Jacks outside of a baseball game? Mm. Where does one obtain Cracker Jack? I always thought of that as like a, it was at the store. I've never gotten Cracker Jack in a public setting. I've only ever gotten Cracker Jack at a movie, or not at a movie, a baseball game. I'm pretty sure that's the only place it's sold. I got it as a child because you would get a prize inside. Yeah. Yeah. My grandma had it maybe. I don't know. I'll have to look at the availability of Cracker Mm. Jack. Hmm. Standing in the placid line as he bought the Plex's paper tickets that looked like grocery receipts, knowing that she was going to love the celluloid entertainment, no matter what it was, wonderfully innocent, still thinking quality referred to the living teddy bears in Qantas, Qantas commercials, <laughs> standing handheld, eyes even with his wallet's back bulk pocket bulge. She'd never so much again as in that line felt so taken care of. Destined for big screen entertainments, unalloyed good fun. Never once again until starting in with this lover, cooking and smoking it, five years back before Incondense's death at the start. The punter never made her feel quite so taken care of, never made her feel about to be entered by something that didn't know she was there and yet was all about making her feel good anyway coming in. Entertainment is blind. The improbable thing of the whole thing is that right when the soda and water and cocaine are mixed right and heated right and stirred just right as the mix cools down, then when the stuff's too stiff to stir and is finally ready to come on out, it comes out slick as shit from a goat, just an inverted ketchup bottle thump, and out the son of a fucking horse slides, one molded cylinder, hardened onto the black wire, its snout round from the glass tube's bottom. The average pre-chopped freebase rock looks like a 38 round. What Joelle now slides with three Phillips from the cigar tube is a monstrous white wiener, a county fair <laughs> corn dog. It sides a bit rough, like mache, a couple cloths left on the inside of the tube that are what you forage and smoke before the chore boys and panties. She's now a little under two deliberate minutes from too much fun for anyone mortal to hope to endure. Her unveiled face in the dirty lit mirror is shocking in the intensity of its absorption. Out in the bedroom doorway, she can hear Reeves Mainwaring telling some helium-voiced girl that life is essentially one long search for an ashtray. <laughs> Very 90s thought. Yes. Uh, no one thinks that anymore. Uh, now it's life is one so- long search for where you left your jewel. Yeah, one, lo- one long rummage for, 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 um, vape. for the last mango pod. <laughs> Too much fun. She uses the razor. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, th- I'm just remembering. Uh, uh, this is a very much aside, but uh, Will describing Gal Gadot's face in Justice League, the the one expression she is capable of of making, which is the face I make when I can't for, when I can't remember where I put my jewel. That's very good. Yes, and very accurate. On in a in a slightly uh, different realm, I feel like the only face that Kit Harrington makes in Game of Thrones is when he knows that he doesn't he he lost his jewel. Yeah. Oh. Oh no. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, she uses the razor blade to cross. This is a great, wonderfully instructional. If anyone wants to learn how to freebase cocaine, it is. I'm, this I'm is enjoying accurate. this. Yeah. She uses the razor blade to cross section chunks out of the freebase wiener. You can't whittle thin deli-shaved flakes off because they'll crumble, crumble back to powder right away. And they, anyway, don't smoke as well as you'd think. Blunt chunks are SOP. Joelle chops out enough chunks for maybe 20 good-sized hits. They form a little quarry on the soft cloth of her folded veil on the counter. Her Brazilian skirt is no longer damp. Reeves Mainwaring's blonde imperial... Uh, Blonde Imperial often had little bits of food residue in it. Is an Imperial a style of beard? I guess. Okay. The ecstasy of St. Teresa is on perpetual display at the Vittoria. Vittoria? I don't know. In Rome, and she never got to see it. She will never again say and low and invite people to watch darkness dance on the face of the deep. <laughs> the face of the deep had been the title she'd suggested for Jim's unseen last cartridge which he'd said would be too pretentious, and then use that skull fragment out of the Hamlet graveyard scene instead, which, <laughs> talk about pretentious, she'd laughed. His frightened look when she'd laughed is, for the life of her, the last facial expression memory she can remember of the man. Oren had referred to his father sometimes as himself and sometimes as the mad stork 
and once in a slip as the sad stork. <laughs> she lights one wooden match and blows it right out and touches the hot black head to the side of the plastic pop bottle. It melts right through and makes a little hole. The helicopter was probably a traffic helicopter. Somebody at their academy had had some connection to some traffic helicopter that had had an accident. She can't for the life of her. No one out there knows she is in here getting ready to have too much. She can hear Molly Notkin calling through rooms about, has anyone seen Keck? In her first theory seminar, Reeves Mainwaring had called one film wretchedly ill-conceived and another desperately acquiescent. (laughs) And Molly Notkin had pretended to have a coughing fit and had had a Tennessee accent and that was how they met. The Reynolds wrap is to make a screen that will rest in the bottle's open top. A regular dope screen is the size of a thimble. Its sides spread like an opening bud. Joelle uses the point of some curved nail scissors on the back of the toilet to poke tiny holes in the rectangle of aluminum foil and shapes it into a shallow funnel large enough to siphon gasoline, (laughs) narrowing its tip to fit in the bottle's mouth. She now owns a pipe with a monster-sized bowl and screen now and puts in enough chunklets to make five or six hits at once. The little rocks lie there, piled in yellow-white. She puts her lips experimentally to the melted hole in the side of the bottle and draws then, very deliberately, lights another match and extinguishes it and makes the hole bigger. The idea that she'll never see Molly Notkin or the Cerebral Union or her UHID support brothers and sisters or the YYY engineer or Uncle Bud on a roof or her stepmother in the locked ward or her poor personal daddy again is sentimental and banal. The idea of what she's about in here uh, contains all other ideas and makes them banal. Her glass of juice is on the back of the toilet, half empty. (laughs) The back of the toilet is lightly sheened with condensation of unknown origin. These are facts. This room in this apartment is the sum of many, very many specific facts and ideas. There is nothing more to it than that. Deliberately setting about to make her heart explode has assumed the status <laughs> of just one of these facts. It was an idea, but now is about to become a fact. The closer it comes to becoming concrete, the more abstract it seems. Things get very abstract. The concrete room was the sum of abstract facts. Are facts abstract or are they just abstract representations of concrete things? <laughs> Molly Notkin's middle name is Cantrell. Joelle puts two more matches together and prepares to strike them, breathing rapidly in and out like a diver preparing for a long descent. I say, is someone in there? The voice is the young post-new formalist from Pittsburgh who affects (laughs) Continental and wears an ascot that won't stay tight. Should I become an ascot guy? Not like this guy. Maybe in another decade or so. I, th- I like ascots. I think yeah, I think, cool. I think once I hit 40, I'm going to go in some really wild fashion directions. Okay. With that hesitant knocking of when you know perfectly well someone's in there, the bathroom door composed of 36, that's three times a lengthwise 12 recessed, two beveled squares in a warped rectangle of street steam-softened wood, not quite white. The bottom outside corner right here, raw wood and mangled from hitting the cabinet's bottom drawer's wicked metal knob through the door and offset red and glowering actors and calendar and very crowded scene and pubic spiral of pale blue smoke from the elephant-colored rubble of ash and little blackened chunks in the foil funnel's cone, the smoke's baby blanket blue that sent her sliding down along the wall, past knotted washcloth, towel rack, blood flower, blood, blood flower wallpaper, and intricately grimed electrical outlet, the light, sharp, bitter tint of a heated sky's blue that's left her uprightly fetal, with chin on knees in yet another North American bathroom, deveiled, too pretty for words, maybe the prettiest girl of all time, a.k.a. prettiest G-O-A-T. <laughs> She's ne- the goat. Knees to She's chest. The She's the pea-goat. Uh, knees to chest, slew-footed by the radiant chill of the claw-footed tub's porcelain. Molly's had somebody lacquer the tub in blue, Lacquer. She's holding the bottle, recalling vividly its slogan for the last generation was the choice of a nude generation. The choice of a nude generation? The choice of a nude generation. When she was of back pocket height and prettier by far than any of the peach-colored titans they'd gazed up at. His hand in her lap, 
uh, her hand in the box and rooting down past candy for the prize. More fun, way too much fun inside her veil on the counter above her. The stuff in the funnel, exhausted, though it's still smoking thinly, its graph reaching, its highest spiked prick. Peak, the arrow's best descent. So good, she can't stand it and reaches out for the cold tub's rim's cold edge to pull herself up as the white party noise reaches, for her, the sort of stereophonic precipice of volume to teeter on just before the speakers blow. People barely twitching and conversations stretching against a ghastly old pre-Carter thing saying, we've only just begun. <laughs> Joelle's limbs have been removed to a distance where their acknowledgement of her commands seems like magic. Both clogs simply gone, nowhere in sight, and socks oddly wet, pulls her face up to face the unclean medicine cabinet mirror, twin roses of flame still hanging in the glass's corner. Hair of the flame she's eaten now, trailing like the legs of wasps through the air of the glass she uses to locate the defaced veil and what's inside it. Loading up the cone again, the ashes from the last load make the world's best filter. This is a fact. Breathes in and out like a savvy diver. Look here, then. Who's that in there? Is someone in there? Do open up. I'm on one foot, then the other out here. I say not. Can someone's been in here locked and, well, sounding unwell amid a rather queer scent? And is knelt, vomiting over the lip of the cool blue tub, gouges on the tub's lip, revealing sandy white gritty stuff below the lacquer and porcelain, vomiting muddy juice and blue smoke and dots of mercuric red into the claw-footed trough, and can hear again and seems to see against the fire of her closed lid's blood bladed vessels aloft in the night to monitor flow, searchlit helicopters, fat fingers of blue light from one sky, searching. Wow. Yeah. How are we doing on time? We're at 27 minutes, which is probably fine for dividing this chapter, or unless you want to go... What, There's one little... like small thing, which is, I'm pretty sure it's just describing um, more like layout of Boston, which we can deal with next time or do you want to do you want to just go through should we yeah just two more pages okay yeah yeah that's true this is a long book (laughs) all right enfield massachusetts is one of the stranger little facts that make up the idea that is metro boston (laughs) because it is a township composed almost entirely of medical corporate and spiritual facilities a kind of arm shape extending north from commonwealth avenue and separating brighton into upper and lower its elbow nudging East Newton's ribs and its fist sunk into Alston. Enfield's broad municipal tax base includes St. Elizabeth's Hospital, Franciscan Children's Hospital, the Universal Bleacher Company, the Provident (laughs) Nursing Home, Shuko Mist Medical Pressure Systems, Inc., the Enfield Marine Public Health Hospital Complex, the Svelte Nail Co., half the Metro Boston turbine and generating stations of Sunstrand Power and Light, the part that gets taxed is in Incorporated Alston. Corporate headquarters for the Askby family of air displacement effectuators, meaning they make really big fans. The Enfield <laughs> Tennis Academy, St. John of God Hospital, Hanneman Orthopedic Hospital, the Leisure Time Ice Company, which is, I believe, where um, Ken Erdetti worked okay. with, his, with Mildred Bonk and uh, while they were living with that snake man. Uh, a dicalcid monastery... The combined St. John's Seminary and offices for the RCC's Boston Archdiocese, Spotlight, uh, partly in Upper, <laughs> they got in big trouble, man, partly in Upper Brighton, neither half-taxed, uh, convent headquarters of the Sisters for Africa, the National Craniofacial Pain Foundation, <laughs> the Dr. George Roebling Runyon Memorial Institute for Podiatric Research, Regional shiny truck, land barge, and catapult facilities for the own and subsidized Empire Waste Displacement Co., uh, what the Quebecois call Les Trebuchets Noirs, spectacular <laughs> block long catapults that make a sound like a giant stamping foot as they fling great twine bundled waste vehicles into the subannular regions of the Great Concavity at a parabolic al- altitude exceeding five kilometers. The device's slings are of alloy belted elastic and their huge cupped vehicle receptacles like catcher's mitts from hell. A half dozen or so of the catapults in this like blimp hangerish thing with a selectively slide-backable roof 
taking up a good six square blocks of Enfield's braciform incursion into the Alston Spur. <laughs> Occasional school tours tolerated but not encouraged. <laughs> and so on. With the whole flexed Enfield limb sleeved in a perimeter layer of light residential and mercantile properties. The Enfield Tennis Academy occupies probably now the nicest site in Enfield, some 10 years after balding and shaving flat the top of the big abrupt hill that constitutes a kind of raised cyst on the township's elbow, the better part of 75 hectares of broad lawns and clover-leafing paths and topologically cutting-edge erections, 32 asphalt tennis courts and 16 hard-true Position, composition tennis courts and extensive underground maintenance and storage and athletic training facilities and briars and calliopses and pines mixed artfully in on the inclines with deciduous trees. The ETA hilltop overlooking on one side, east, historic Commonwealth Avenues, acclimated migration out of the squalor of Lower Brighton, liquor stores and laundromats and bars and palisades of somber and guano-dappled tenement facades the huge and brooding Brighton Project high-rises with three-story-high orange ID numerals on the sides, plus liquor stores and pale men in leather and whole gangs of pale children in leather on the corners <laughs> and Greek-owned pizza places with yellow walls and dirty, dirty corner markets owned by Orientals who try like heck to keep their sidewalks clean but can't, even with hoses, plus the quarter-hourly trundle and ding of the Green Line trains labor up the Ave's long rise to Boston College, into the spiky elegance of B.C., and the broad gentrification of Newton out to the west, where the haze-haloed Boston sun drops behind the last node in the four-kilometer sine wave that is collectively called the historic April Marathon's Heartbreak Hill, the sun always setting 15 minutes to the nanosecond after DeLint turns on the quartz's high tower lights. <laughs> uh, two, I think it must be the southwest. ETA overlooks the steely gray tangle uh, of sun strands, transformers, and high voltage grids and coaxial chokers strung with beads of ceramic insulators with not one sun strand smokestack anywhere in sight, but a monstrous mega-ohm insulator cluster at the terminus of a string of signs trailing from the northeast, each sign talking with many uh, zeros with a slash through it. Yes. Is that an ohm? Maybe. Uh, about that would make sense in this context, right? Ohms? Yeah. About how... About how many, it's been so long, about how many annular generated amps are waiting underground for anyone who digs or in any way dicks around with <laughs> hair-raising nonverbal stick figure symbols of somebody with a shovel going up like a Kleenex in the fireplace. <laughs> there are smokestacks in the visual background, slightly south of Sunstrand, though, from the EWD hangars, each stack with a monstrous Ask Me 2100 series ADE fan bolted behind it and blowing due north with an insistent high-pitched fury that is somehow soothing, orally, at ETA's distance and height. From both the north and northeast tree lines, ETA looks down its hill's steepest, best-planted decline into the complexly decaying grounds of Enfield Marine. Great. And that's on location, uh, period. Let's, let's uh, move backwards. Um. I want to shout out a website that I discovered that must be have been um, I'm sure people know about that uh, uh, I'm sure has been kept for a while. InfiniteBoston.com is it Infinite Atlas uh, or they is this different? I think they maintain or at least link to the Infinite Atlas. Cool. Um, but uh, yeah, InfiniteBoston.com, which has great little blog posts, kind of. Um, searching around Boston, the greater Boston area to find, you know, references for the stuff that he describes in the book. And it does give like pretty great pictures. I'll have to check it out. Uh, especially like of the, um, I mean, th this guy seems to have located basically what he has, what he believes is the direct reference for Enfield house mm. alcohol. What is it? Enfield house, Enfield, Al Al Enfield house, drug and alcohol recovery house. Sick. En yes. Enfield house, drug and alcohol recovery house. He he's got a pretty good, uh, like building that 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 has that he believes to be the direct reference and a bunch of other stuff and an amazingly curated world interactive world atlas of every site both fictional and non-fictional referenced in infinite jest throughout the entire world and how it relates to the uh plot of the book 
It's good. It's cool. Has any novel in history treated Boston with such loving, detailed care? Uh, this is the novel of Boston. What you've been reading, Moby Dick? What is the port of exit of? of uh, I thought they left from like Rhode Island. Do they leave from Rhode Island? Yeah. Okay. I've I've left that fallen off. Um, sadly, but I'm I will finish Moby Dick because I imagine that that he describes uh, the port that they leave with as much loving care uh, and nuance. Not not even they're already really? in, they're already in the book. Well, how much time have we spent thinking about what Boston is? <laughs> I guess. Every neighborhood is getting a thorough dressing yes, down. Yes. Uh, I, and the, people should be grateful. This should be required reading for people who are from Boston, Boston? or move there. Yeah, this this should this should just be uh like the one book that every Bostonian has to read. I'm not even sure New York has been depicted with this level of uh, detail. Yeah, of um, of 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 almost mythological banality. Yeah, like focusing in so on so hard on the details that it seems almost like timeless, weirdly. Yeah. Like if someone read this 200 years from now, you would get a great sense of what Boston was like in the in, 1990s. In, yeah, in the late 1990s. It's kind of, it's incredible. But even even just like the specific part of Boston that he's describing, this like kind of like immediately outside the downtown area of a city, like strip mauled uh near suburbs yeah there's a kind of universal element to it yeah um but then let's move backwards uh and talk about what is the infinite gist uh joelle attempts to kill herself with a superhuman amount of free-based cocaine yes uh unfortunate timing this episode with the uh news that dmx had overdosed on drugs apparently he's stabilized now though good uh, please X pray for DMX return to give it to us once again. Yeah. I won't be, I won't be happy until X X gives it to us one last time. Uh, but I do did appreciate the hyper procedural, uh, description of, of that. I feel like I would be, I, I'm confident that I think as long as he described everything correctly, I could replicate this gigantic, uh, cocaine bong. Yes. Um, do I want to? No, I, I anticipate that she is not going to be successful in her uh, endeavor. There's to, a lot to of this. Herself, there's a lot of this KHS. book left, yes. and and I assume that she is going to be as she, as she is the star of the Infinite Jest. I assume that she is going to be a uh, a main spoiler alert main character. Spoiler alert: she does she does not die. She Great. tries real hard. But and does she end up at the Enfield House? Is that what I'm to assume? Probably. Probably yes. Okay. Great. <laughs> I mean, it seems to be the collection point for all our for all our buddies. Sure. Um, he's just so good. Like reading when he's talking about like the room as a collection of facts and yeah. like just getting really abstract. It just re- it reminded me for some reason of the um, the supposedly fun thing I'll never do, do again. again. Yes. He's just so good at like describing that particular mode of like being in your head where you're just like, what is life? Like what? Like. What is everything around me? How did this happen? Well, I think it all it works in so beautifully narratively there, and like what in his particular mode of writing, which is just like hyper describing everything as a way to advance plot and character. Because as she gets closer to doing this this fatal act of too much fun, it becomes even more hyper descriptive in a way that is, dare I say, dissociative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, which is. Uh, I think interesting. It's a vibe. It is a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> this book is a vibe. I just more read more than anything. I just read a, an article that um, my friend sent me about ketamine, saying that like dissociation is the is like the vibe of the twenty twenties. Yes, like versus you know uh, it was alcohol, and then it was like weed for the hippie, like alcohol for the factory workers, weed for the hippies. Mm-hmm. Um, cocaine for, for the, the yuppies. like the yuppies and then like benzos for the anti and like opiates for people who are just like crushed by capitalism and Adderall as well. Yeah. And now we're in di- dissociation time baby. Yes. Uh it's the 20s baby. Start dissociating. <laughs> if you <laughs> Uh but I mean that's that's I guess the main thing from here. We'll see where that goes. I did want to talk about associated things. So, uh there was a, as I alluded to at the beginning of this episode there was another guy making the rounds uh you basically doing the classic gag of ladies if the only book he has on his bookshelf is infinite jest don't fuck him right and the one thing we've talked about this a lot a lot on this but the one thing i can't believe that we haven't done that i was kind of thinking about today is like what is the female equivalent of this in pop culture like i was thinking about you know if 
if if one was to make a TikTok that was like, fellas, if the only book she has on her uh, bookcase is blank, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. And I think that truly what it is that takes up the same pop cultural space and it would have the same signifiers, although in a different direction, is the Harry Potter books. If yep. you go over to a girl's place and the only book she has on her bookshelf is the Harry Potter books, that's, that is the literary red flag for men. Uh, and Molly agrees with me, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, I do. Ba- back me up on that one. If that's like the only thing, but I mean, th- this is all to say that I think book book red flags are, again, ridiculous because A, nobody reads, and yeah. B, I, I honestly have not met a single person who I feel like the reason that they are what they are is because of the media that they consume. Yes. It's usually because of their parenting, their <laughs> their upbringing, their uh, access to shit, uh, and the, the way they've been you know treated and treated others over the years, you mm-hmm. know, living yes heard of it i just don't like me media consumption is not the cause it first of all it's not the cause of badness in people mm-hmm. and i don't even think it's a reflection of badness in people i in in some ways i think of it as like totally separate yeah uh it was all and it's all signifiers i mean even it, within the concept of if, if he, the only thing he owns is infinite jest you know that that's a red flag well, the, why would he only have infinite jest what is this about because it's supposed to be some kind of signifier or also the the addendum to that is okay then don't date him yes. someone else will yes the, i saw a good tweet all i see are tweets because all i can't I see tweets. all i see are tweets I, because i can't do anything like mm-hmm. go to a rave or the library um Someone tweeted, it was like one of those things, you know, those generalizations that people make about like family and relationships mm-hmm. where it's like uh, normalize not not asking your parents to normalize, like not <laughs> asking your parents to atone for like the mistakes that they made uh, when they were raising you. What? And then someone else quote tweeted that and was like, or cut your parents off entirely. Like no one has time for negative energy in their relationships. And then someone quote tweeted that and was like, how many times do I have to say, if something doesn't apply to you, then leave it alone. (laughs) Not everything needs to apply to you. Or not everything needs to apply to everyone. Not everything needs to apply to everyone. And if something doesn't apply to you, my God, leave it alone. The flattening of attention and uh, intention on the internet has been driving me insane. Mm -hmm. It was so much better when it was more atomized. Now we're all looking at the same shit and everyone's getting mad every day. Yes. What does it matter whether this guy owns Infinite Chess? Leave him alone. Leave him alone. He he might like the book. He might not. He probably won't like you anyway. Uh, Because all you have on your, because all you care about is Harry Potter. Uh, No, I want to zoom in on that if, if, if we are to accept the, the concept that those are are roughly analogous like mm-hmm. red flag books and because it the thing that i thought about it was like what anxiety does it ultimately portray yes and i believe that the the infinite jest as signifier as a red flag the anxiety that it portrays is that the person is the the red flag is su- supposedly that the person thinks they are smart when in fact they are not that's the that's the boy one. Yeah, that's the infinite jest. Yes, uh, and I think uh, that that is that is what you are upset about is this person a, a person thinking that believing themselves to be smart when they are not, and I think that the Harry Potter thing is uh, kind of maybe maybe similar, but also I guess the the the, the feeling of being like this person is actually what it portrays is that this person is actually a child. Actually, a child, and I would argue this person thinks that they're special. Yes, maybe when special. Not. Yes, uh, but anyway, that's that's just what I I think. I'm gonna make TikTok videos that say, "Fellas, if the only book she has is Harry Potter's, that's a red flag." That like I, how, if you, you that did make, that, you could get chased off the internet. <laughs> do you think you that don't would know make how crazy mad? some of these people are? You would you would yeah. get even even as a jest, you would be some sort of infinite jest. Some sort of infinite jest. You would pay for that dearly. You would have to go private. <laughs> uh, I will eventually. Next time we have a round of this, I'm gonna try to do that joke and just to see what happens. If that is the hill that people have to, that people act, get actually mad at me online about, uh, I think I can. I think I can weather that storm. I mean, choosing your own cancellation is probably better than having it foisted upon you. Like at the end of Ghostbusters, you choose the form of your uh, of your dem- demise. The we we follow a uh, a popular cooking youtuber and they did a i will i won't name it but it's probably obvious but they did a home tour 
And they had just recently, I think, moved in with their girlfriend and the girlfriend had a special little shelf that only hosted the seven Harry, Harry Potter, Potter books. books. Oh, and yes. once I saw that, I was like, oh, I know what you're about. I know your whole thing. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. That, that's, a, that's a red flag for me. Because, okay, to, to delve in a little more to this analysis, mm-hmm. Infinite Jest... O- only book this MF got is Infinite Jest. You, what you're anticipating is that guy is going to be constantly mansplaining, being condescending, being pretentious and intellectual and just boring you with conversation. I, I guess I probably also, but people don't even know this. I didn't even know that this book was about, I, I'd heard people joke about it for years. I didn't even know it was about fucking substance abuse, like mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that, that would be another thing, you know, like the the classic like bad boy authors of the of the uh, 20. 20th century all men do is write about cocaine (laughs) all all men do is is drink alcohol and write about drinking alcohol but i guess also that it might they might feel like it's like glorifying you know bad boy behavior like taking fatal amounts of free base cocaine yeah what i the i'm actually going to try to find find the screenshot of this because I want to. I feel like who keeps getting left off of these lists is Brett Easton Ellis. Yes, and it's like we well, fell out of fashion. That's like how people used to be really into uh, like the Boondock Saints, and then that fell out of fashion as like a toxically masculine. Like that's never in any of those like le- uh, like you know all male abusers letter boxes look like this, and it's like pul- Pulp Fiction and like I don't know he, Boogie Nights or whatever. He puts uh, Charles Bukowski, David Foster Wallace, Jonathan Franz, and Ernest Hemingway. Jonathan Franzen. Jonathan Franzen writes books for women. I'm sorry, he does. He ended up corrections. Was re- corrections was on Oprah's motherfucking book club. That's a that's a that's, that's female tendencies. Jonathan Franzen. Even Ernest Hemingway. I'm we like, must hold the toxic masculinity of Jonathan Franzen accountable. If he really wanted to hold toxic masculinity accountable, like he picked the wrong guys. <laughs> Those are not uh, the right guys. Have you re- like Brady Snell? The, the last book that he wrote yeah. that was like the sequel to I think Less Than Zero. It's sick. <laughs> it's disgusting. Men only want thing one With one it. thing, and it's disgusting to rent people to hunt and torture. That's what th- that's yes! what Less Than Zero Two More Than yes! Zero is about. Brady Snell should probably be I locked mean, up. Brady Snell is a sicko. He's a, he's guilty of thought crimes. Uh. But Brett Easton Ellis had a great analysis of current culture, which is that we are post-Empire. Yes. Well, I mean, that's basically the fucking Chapo theme, too. Mm. Uh, wow, Brett Easton Ellis, go on uh, Chapo. Yeah, maybe. He has a podcast. He has a podcast. He has a microphone. I bet Will could equipment. do a pretty good interview of Brett Easton Ellis. <laughs> I, don't th- I imagine that he doesn't have much respect for him, but I think that's what would probably make it a good interview. Well, you got to hand it to him a little bit. American Psycho ha- is fucking good. American Psycho rips. Uh, what if cocaine but too much what if cocaine but too much oh the other thing that I wanted to bring up something that Molly you mentioned this week uh, we've basically not talked about Hamlet at all yeah we haven't said shit about Hamlet uh, which, uh, and it got the direct reference in this, in this section one. so what you want to talk about Hamlet man it's been so long my, here's my Hamlet story read it for the first time freshman year of college mm-hmm. I was in intro to English English 110 that was what you took if you wanted to like start the English major track uh-huh. and I thought I was prepared for college and in most ways I was but I was not prepared in doing research papers uh-huh. and I was assigned a 10 page research paper and that was the only time I have ever left something till the day before it was due and so I basically blacked out Hamlet uh-huh. uh, so I really don't even have much to say and I would honestly reread it again uh, we were th- we were thinking about ta- maybe doing a um, some kind of Hamlet uh, um, table read table read uh, my other suggestion was that Molly and I should just sp- do a whole a single episode full podcast read of Hamlet where we just go back and forth and do the voices and put out like a six hour episode. Of, yeah. That's just Hamlet. I'm down, honestly. Uh, While we're still locked down, I'm, I'm, I got all the time in the world for that. Uh, the, the original dark uncle, uh, uh, novel or I mean, story. I'm embarrassed to say, but I remember when I first started reading Hamlet, my friend was like, it's just the Lion King. And I was like, totally, totally. <laughs> Got it. Um, but what is, what are we supposed to gather from Hamlet in Infinite 
jest other than that there are cool words and phrases poor I mean, york entertainment well there's like fa- i think it's just like father and so- it's killing your dad right what yeah, happens well, what Hamlet happens is about when someone avenging else, your dad yeah well what happens when someone else fights your dad and wins what do you do yeah i fought the dad and the dad won i uh, fought the dad and the dad won did joelle start dating Orin and then moved on to she never dated Jim. Okay, they were never, but she became. But she, yeah, she, she, a, a collaborator. She met Oren. I assume it was in a college setting. We'll we'll get there. Okay, their meet cute. Um, but yeah, then she they broke up, and then she started working with. All right. Well, I Jimmy. guess we're gonna have to address Hamlet because that is where the infinite jest comes from. Right. Yes. So we'll figure out some way to do that. I mm-hmm. think that that would be fun. Shakespeare's cool. I, I, I'm down with Shakespeare. I love that guy. Yeah, that's that's a to- that's that's male manipulator plays right there. Male manipulator plays. If yeah, you're is into Shakespeare, Shakespeare toxically masculine. If you're into Shakespeare, wow, it's like don't don't even talk to me. Like find a female playwright. To yes, <laughs> we're. Why don't we shout out the female Shakespeare's for a dollar? Name a female playwright. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good, actually, a good question. Oh, this is where. I'm Oh boy. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> this is actually really embarrassing. Um, I don't see plays. Yeah, I'm not a big play guy. I keep thinking of plays about women, but they're written by men. Yeah. Uh, woof. Uh, we might have to get back to you on that <laughs> canceled. one. Canceled. 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 You're all canceled. None of oh, you are free God. Oh, what a nightmare. Uh, all right. Well, we should probably wrap this up. Uh, if you have any opinions about how we should address Hamlet, if we should do, uh, Molly wanted to do like a, tw- a live Twitch table read where we gathered, you know, everybody in the and intro or uh, orbit and try to do it. We won't get um, copyrighted because that play is like 8 billion years old. Yeah, it's like 500 years old. Copyright is non, uh, not applicable. Um, but otherwise, uh, poor York. All right. To be fair, I just Googled female playwrights and Lillian Hellman would be the, she would be the big one. Um, I think she did like the glass. Wait, no, she didn't do the glass menagerie. That was that guy. Oh, what a nightmare. (laughs) Okay. I I have to do better and learn, learn better. Uh, learn a female playwright. Yeah. Uh, Julie Taymor. She technically writes her plays, doesn't she? I thought she's like a director. But yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You did it. Thank I'll give you, you a dollar. <laughs> All right. One dollar. Let's, let's wrap up here. We we ended up meandering towards 52 minutes. Too much fun. Too much fun. Uh, bye. Bye.